0: The U.S. government talks a lot about the so-called rules-based international order and labels other countries as so-called rogue states if Washington doesn't like their policies. But if we look at votes at the United Nations, we can see that the United States consistently votes against the entire world. I'm not exaggerating. We saw yet another example of this, On the 2nd of November, 2023, when basically every single country on earth supported a U.N. General Assembly resolution that called to end the U.S. embargo against Cuba, only two countries voted against the resolution, the United States and Israel, and just one country abstained, Ukraine. So again, it is not an exaggeration to say that the United States is violating the will of the entire international community, and the U.S. is actually the worst rogue state on Earth. Now, Washington has maintained a suffocating blockade against Cuba for more than 60 years. This has starved the country of hundreds of billions of dollars. It prevents Cuba from importing technology and machine parts and medicine and food, despite the U.S.'s false claim that it has exemptions. It makes it very difficult for Cuba to get international financing and work with foreign banks because of the threat of U.S. secondary sanctions. And it has contributed to actual deaths, preventable deaths, of Cubans who, who have died because their country was not able to import certain medicines or medical equipment or machine parts that they needed to treat them. Now, it's very clear why the U.S. has been maintaining this criminal blockade against the Cuban people for so many decades. This was spelled out very clearly in an internal memo that was published in 1960, inside the State Department, and you can find this online at the State Department's Office of the Historian. And in this cable, a top U.S. diplomat acknowledges that the majority of Cubans supported Fidel Castro, the leader of the Cuban Revolution that took place in 1959, and the U.S. diplomat acknowledged there is no effective political opposition to the new leftist government. So The U.S. State Department said very clearly, I'm reading from the the State Department, quote, the only foreseeable means of alienating internal support is through disenchantment and disaffection based on economic dissatisfaction and hardship. So the U.S. said that it wants to create economic hardship inside Cuba. And the top U.S. diplomat said, quote, every possible means should be undertaken promptly to weaken the economic life of Cuba. Again, to weaken the economic life of Cuba. And in the most revealing quote of all, the State Department document says that the U.S. goal is to, quote, make the greatest inroads in denying money and supplies to Cuba to decrease monetary and real wages, to bring about hunger, desperation, and overthrow of government. I really need to stress this line. The U.S. goal with the illegal six decade long blockade on Cuba is to, quote, bring about hunger, desperation and overthrow of government to decrease the wages of Cuban workers to deny their country food and supplies and medicine and money and everything else that they need. And every single year for decades, we have seen basically the exact same vote in the United Nations General Assembly. In 2022, it was 185 countries that voted in support of the resolution calling to end the U.S. embargo against Cuba. And in that, in that year, 2022, only two countries voted against, once again, the U.S. and Israel, and two countries abstained. In that time, it was Ukraine. And also brazil and this is back when brazil was governed by the far-right president Jair bolsonaro who was extremely pro-us now brazil has an independent leftist president lula da silva and he has gone back to the long tradition of voting to end the u.s blockade against cuba back in 2021 it was basically exactly the same And in fact, the UN News Agency published an article in 2021 titled, UN General Assembly Calls for U.S. to End Cuba Embargo for 29th Consecutive Year. And in that case, it was 184 countries voting in favor of the resolution, two against the U.S. and Israel, and three countries abstained, which were Colombia, Ukraine, and Brazil. And again, that was when Bolsonaro, the far right was in power in Brazil. And it was also when the far right was in power in Colombia under the ultra right wing president, Ivan Duque, who was another close US ally that has now changed. And for the first time ever, Colombia has a left wing president, Gustavo Petro, who has been voting to end the illegal US blockade against Cuba. In 2019 at the UN, the vote was again, basically identical. 187 countries in support of ending the blockade, three against, and in that case, it was the U.S., Israel, and Brazil. Bolsonaro actually voted in support of the blockade against the resolution to end the blockade. And in that case, Colombia and Ukraine abstained. So, I mean, what's incredible is that until recently, the only support the U.S. could get in the international stage was from the Israeli apartheid regime, the far-right fascistic regime of Bolsonaro in Brazil, and the regime in Ukraine. And now the only countries that it can get to support it are apartheid Israel and Ukraine. It can't even get Colombia and Brazil to support it anymore. I've been reporting on this every single year for a decade. Back in 2015, I published an article over at Salon.com, and that vote was incredible. This was the 24th consecutive year, and in 2015, it was 191 countries voted to call for an end to the illegal U.S. blockade against Cuba. In that case, it was only the U.S. and Israel that voted against the resolution. So this is the definition of being a rogue state. And by the way, on the subject of the 2023 United Nations General Assembly vote to end the U.S. blockade against Cuba, the actual number of countries should have been 188, not 187. But Venezuela, which would have supported the resolution, was not able to vote because of the illegal U.S. blockade against it. As part of Washington's coup attempt against Venezuela's leftist government, the U.S. has imposed sanctions and has frozen and essentially stolen Venezuela's bank assets in U.S. banks and also European banks have done the same. And by preventing Venezuela from accessing its money— In its deposits, in its bank accounts, Venezuela is unable to pay the membership fees in the U.N., which means that it has lost its right to vote because of the U.S. sanctions in Venezuela, which means that Venezuela can't vote against the illegal U.S. blockade on Cuba. All of this goes to show is that the U.S. is by far the world's worst violator of international law, and Washington continues to hold the U.N. hostage and prevent countries around the world from actually taking tangible action. We can see the exact same thing happening also while this vote was happening on the 2nd of November, where the U.S. has been preventing peace in Gaza by using its veto power in the U.N. Security Council and voting against all resolutions calling for humanitarian ceasefires or pauses or truces in Gaza. Instead, the U.S. has been holding the U.N. hostage, preventing peace, and sending Israel more and more weapons and protecting Israel as it's killing thousands of Palestinian children and carrying out horrific war crimes and crimes against humanity. And in fact, the issues of Palestine and Cuba are related. Cuba has always been a strong supporter of Palestinian rights, opposing Israeli colonialism. And in fact, at the UN General Assembly session in which they were discussing the resolution about the blockade, the Cuban foreign minister, Bruno Rodriguez, he mentioned the issue of Palestine while he was discussing the US economic war against his country and how it prevents Cuba from buying animal fodder and industrial equipment and food production necessities and equipment and technologies and medical devices and pharmaceuticals, while he was discussing that, he also, I'm reading from the UN news agency, he also, quote, reiterated Cuba's support to and solidarity with Palestinian people who are currently being massacred on their own illegally occupied land. And he said these barbaric acts must stop referring to the Israeli bombardment of the Gaza Strip. So the fact is that Cuba has directly raised this issue of supporting Palestinian human rights because Cuba has always been a direct challenger to the U.S. empire, to the U.S.-led capitalist imperialist system. And that is why Washington sees Cuba as a threat. This is how much the U.S. feels threatened by a small island nation, because the U.S. does not want a successful socialist experiment anywhere in the world in history. That's why the U.S. military waged borderline genocidal wars on Korea and Vietnam, killing more than 3 million people in both of those countries, 3 million Koreans, 3 million Vietnamese— the U.S. in the first Cold War waged constant war all around the world. It wasn't so cold for people in Vietnam or in Korea. It wasn't so cold for, for instance, people in Indonesia, where the CIA backed one of the worst genocides in modern history. The MIT professor John Turman published an article in the Washington Post in which he estimated that U.S. wars have killed millions of civilians. He mentioned, for instance, that in the Korean War, it is widely believed that 3 million Koreans died in this U.S. war. In the war in Vietnam, between 1.5 million and 3.8 million Vietnamese people died. And in the U.S.-led war against Cambodia, 600,000 to 800,000 died. In Laos, about 1 million died as well. Similarly, for the people in Indonesia, the so-called Cold War was quite hot, and in 1965 and 1966, the US sponsored one of the worst genocides in modern history, in which potentially one to three million Indonesians were killed. Basically, everyone who was a communist or a socialist or a leftist was murdered after the CIA backed a coup against a left-wing popular leader. And according to the CIA itself, it admitted in 1968 that, quote, in terms of the numbers killed, the anti-communist party of Indonesia massacres in Indonesia rank as one of the worst mass murders of the 20th century. And it compared it to the Nazi mass murders of the Second World War. This was a U.S.-backed genocide against the left in Indonesia. So when people ask why the U.S. continues to maintain this criminal illegal blockade against Cuba for more than 60 years. Well, the U.S. was willing to kill millions of people and sponsor genocidal coups and massacres for decades throughout the first Cold War. And the U.S. continues to do that today because it does not want any country on earth to actually create a new economic model to challenge the U.S.-led capitalist system that Washington is the leader of that is based fundamentally in Wall Street. It was the United States that created the international financial system toward the end of World War II in the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944 with the U.S. dollar at the center of that system. The U.S. has been the greatest beneficiary of the creation of the imperialist world system, and the U.S. has been desperately trying to destroy any country for decades that challenges the US-led imperialist capitalist system. That is why Cuba, despite being a small island nation with just around 11 million people, is seen as such a great threat by the United States, which has more than 330 million people, and yet continues to try to suffocate the people of Cuba. I want to briefly look at some of the statements that were made by countries at the UN General Assembly as they were debating this resolution, which they do every single year. And the representative at the UN from Singapore, who spoke on behalf of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, pointed out that in the, in the previous year, from 2022 to 23, the illegal U.S. blockade cost Cuba about $5 billion in losses— And we should keep in mind that Cuba's GDP is only around $100 billion. So that's really about 5% of GDP that Cuba loses every year because of the illegal U.S. blockade. For context, 5% of GDP is about as much as the U.S. spends every year on education. So this is doing massive economic damage to the Cuban people. And the representative of Mauritania who spoke at the UN on behalf of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, said that the U.S. embargo's impact grew exponentially after Cuba was added to the list of countries allegedly sponsoring terrorism, which is ridiculous. The Donald Trump administration absurdly added Cuba to the so-called state sponsors of terrorism list. But then again, the U.S. government also had the renowned South African anti-apartheid leader, Nelson Mandela, on its so-called terrorist list until 2008, many years after he became president of South Africa after ending apartheid. And of course, the United States had supported the apartheid regime in South Africa. So the fact that Cuba is on the so-called terrorist list shows that this is a a completely bogus list. It's completely political. It has nothing to do with actual terrorism. At the UN, the representative of Mauritania pointed out that because of the illegal U.S. blockade on Cuba, banking and financial operations have become extremely difficult. It also impacts Cuba's ability to obtain basic medicine and food. Now, the U.S. absurdly claims that there are humanitarian exemptions, but That's always the excuse that Washington uses. The reality is that many foreign companies and countries don't want to do business with Cuba or another sanctioned country because they're afraid of so-called secondary sanctions. So there's something referred to as overcompliance. So even if a specific sector like food or medicine is not directly targeted by U.S. sanctions, many countries simply don't want anything to do with it because they're simply afraid they could be targeted or the insurance would be too expensive because in order to do all of these international trade negotiations, you have to make sure that your trade is insured. And many insurance companies don't want anything to do with sanctioned countries. And also, again, because Cuba is sanctioned, it's very difficult to access the banking system. And because so much international trade is still done in U.S. dollars, because Washington still dominates international financial institutions, it basically makes it very difficult for Cuba to trade with other countries and it it blocks it from huge parts of the international financial system. So even when Cuba can buy products from other companies or other countries, it still is very expensive for it. At the UN, the representative from El Salvador, who was speaking on behalf of the Central American integration system, pointed out, that the U.S. embargo has made it difficult for Cuba's public health authorities to acquire medical supplies and equipment, Cuba cannot acquire the ideal medicines needed to treat childhood cancer, and that has led to deaths. Eritrea spoke at the U.N. on behalf of the Group of Friends in Defense of the U.N. Charter, which is a group of largely Global South nations opposing interventionism, and they pointed out that every day the US blockade continues to exist, the fact that it continues to exist, is a shame on the moral authority of the United Nations. And it shows, once again, how the US is holding this body hostage because every single year, the entire world votes against this illegal criminal US behavior. And there are no consequences because of the colonial structure of the UN in the Security Council. The US can prevent the UN from taking any action against it by using its unilateral veto. That's why this colonial structure of the U.N. must change. That's why so many countries around the world are constantly shouting that. We need to fundamentally transform these colonial institutions. The representative of Azerbaijan spoke on behalf of the non-aligned movement at the U.N., and he said that because of the U.S. blockade, Cuba is denied access to markets and international aid, and technology transfers, which create serious obstacles to its socioeconomic development. The Cuban government itself also compiled a report back in July that it presented to the United Nations General Assembly in in response to the resolution, providing more context. And I'm going to look at a few highlights here. It notes that over 80% of Cuba's population has never experienced life without the blockade. I mean, this has done so much damage to the Cuban people. And this report points out that the Trump administration imposed hundreds of new illegal sanctions on Cuba, and the Biden administration has done nothing to lift them. Instead of lifting Trump sanctions, Biden added more sanctions against Cuba. This is bipartisan sadism. The report notes that... The U.S. blockade caused Cuba to to lose about $5 billion, $4.867 billion from 2022 to 2023. That means that it's losing about $405 million per month or $13 million per day. And it notes that Cuba's GDP in 2022 would have grown at around 9% if it were not for the illegal U.S. blockade. And Cuba estimates that the accumulated losses during over 60 years of the illegal U.S. sanctions against it amount to $159 billion, about $160 billion. And again, Cuba's GDP is only around $100 billion. So they're saying that about 150%, one and a half of their entire economy, of their entire GDP has been lost because of this illegal U.S. blockade. Cuba notes that it deprives the country of the inflow of funds essential for the purchase of food, supplies, equipment, spare parts, technologies, and software. And Cuba notes, no other nation has been obliged to take on a social and development program under such conditions of prolonged systemic hostility on the part of the greatest power in human history. It added that the blockade constitutes a massive, flagrant, and systematic violation of the human rights of all Cubans, and it constitutes an act of genocide under the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. But just as the United States is also sponsoring Israel's genocide in Gaza, this is an example of how the international political institutions that exist— are not working. They're truly colonial, or you could say actually they are working in the way that the US designed them, which is as colonial instruments. After the end of World War II, we saw the end of the European colonial empires gradually, but the creation of the US empire and a neo colonial system, and the US refuses to be part of an international organization that it does not have veto power in, that it cannot unilaterally sabotage, whether that's the Bretton Woods institutions like the IMF and the World Bank, where the U.S. is the only country with veto power, or the United Nations Security Council, which has all the power to actually implement resolutions, but because the U.S. and also France and the U.K. have permanent seats and therefore veto power, the colonial powers can prevent anything from happening despite the fact that the entire world wants something to happen. And what's so incredible about this this consistent UN vote every year to condemn the illegal US blockade against Cuba and call for it to, to be lifted is that even Washington's allies in Europe, which are very subservient to Washington, even they are constantly telling the US to lift this illegal blockade. And Washington refuses to do so because... It is a rogue state. According to any rational definition, any consistent definition of the term, the United States is the worst rogue state on earth. And it feels so threatened by Cuba, a small island nation of 11 million people, and the threat of a good example that Cuba could pose to the to, to capitalism by developing an alternative economic model. Cuba, despite the blockade, has one of the best healthcare systems in the region. And Cuba has sent doctors all over the world. Cuba has made so many strides. Cuba is renowned worldwide for its humanitarian support and its solidarity, despite living under this criminal, illegal U.S. blockade. So imagine what it could accomplish were it not for that. That's exactly why Washington is so afraid. And that's why the U.S. continues to impose sanctions on all of these countries, like Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua. And then it says, well... Socialism fails everywhere and the only solution is you have to privatize all of your state assets and sell them to our corporations on Wall Street. That's why you have to let us control your monetary policy and that's why you have to take loans from our banks and the IMF and the World Bank that we control. This is all a form of neocolonialism and countries that challenge that neocolonial imperialist system like Cuba, like Venezuela, like Nicaragua, like China, like many others, they're seen as existential threats because to U.S. neocolonialism, the hegemonic system created by the U.S. empire, they are existential threats to that global dictatorship, which is what the United States wants to maintain, a global dictatorship. On that note, I'm going to end. Unfortunately, every single year we can see this U.N. vote where basically the entire world votes against the U.S. blockade, But I will always be here at Geopolitical Economy Report reporting on it, as I've done for a decade now, reporting every single year. And if you like this kind of reporting that we do, please subscribe. If you prefer listening to these videos, if you prefer a podcast, you can check out the Geopolitical Economy Report podcast. And I will be back very soon with much more reporting. See you next time.